Hey everyone, it's Heather. I'm so excited about our new resource for single women, Authentically You. One of the most challenging parts of life is navigating relationships. This can be especially true for women who have been tainted by negative sexual experiences and mistakes from their past, or when the struggle with porn and masturbation takes hold and won't let go. This leaves them feeling distant from God, separated by the weight of shame and regret. If this is you, you're not alone. Authentically You was written specifically for single and college-aged women, those who are on the working career path and those who are in college. This 20-lesson curriculum is easily adaptable to a busy work schedule or a college semester system. Through this group experience, you'll explore how your past pain and trauma contribute to distorted beliefs and an unhealthy thought life. You'll uncover the role your family of origin plays in your past and current behaviors and address the issues that perpetuate compulsive and addictive patterns. And through the use of weekly exercises, strategic tools, and self-care focus, you'll learn how to live in health, how to live as your true, authentic self. I know God has a plan for your life to bring you to a place of health and wholeness. If you allow it, God will do amazing things in you and through you. So pre-order today, Authentically You. Go to puredesire.org ay. That's puredesire.org ay. You're listening to the Pure Desire Podcast, your safe place to find hope, healing, and freedom from sexual addiction, betrayal, and relationship issues. Hello, hello. I'm your host, Trevor Windsor, and you're listening to episode 221 of the Pure Desire Podcast. Here joining me, as always, is my co-host, Nick Stumbo. So good. So good. <sighs> Crickets from over here. <laughs> you know, if, if you could pull that reference, I would have like walked across the room to give you a high five because I, I may not even be quoting it correctly, but have you watched uh, the story of Alex Hanold uh, climbing free solo? Oh, up, no, um, I haven't yet. Oh, my goodness. That movie, it's a documentary about his climb. It's on Disney up, Plus, right? Uh, yeah. What's El Capitan, I think, is the cliff face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the largest yeah. single rock climbing face. And he did it with no ropes, no. Um, and spoiler alert. Uh, he doesn't die, which I actually, I had to pause the movie halfway through cause it is so intense and like, oh, man. I, and I, I am, I'm afraid of heights. And so there were scenes that were just like, I am like covering my eyes, like it's a horror film and it's just this guy hanging <laughs> off cliffs. But I was like, I need to know if he dies or not. Cause this is, did too... you fast forward to the end? Yeah. Well, I just Googled and like, okay, okay. He, he, okay. he survives. He's still alive. But when he successfully solo climbs that face at the top and he's a really interesting guy, his reaction is like that. He just goes, so good. And you're like, man, if it was me, I'm like jumping up and Seriously, down. Seriously. Like, actually, the movie talks about that's part of why he was able to do it is because mm. his kind of adrenaline receptors are just set different than you and I. And wow. so the way he responds is really classic. Anyway, long story short, say <laughs> that's where I got today's intro. There you go. Lots well, of good one. Uh, a unique one, kind of eclectic one. Nicely done. Uh, today we had on Harry Flanagan, who's one of our clinicians and uh, was, I believe, the first full-time employee at Pure yeah, Desire starting back in 2007. And we really, I mean, we hear Harry's story in The Seven Pillars of Freedom, um, some of it in Pillar 2, I believe. Um, but we've never actually just sat down with him and had him share his story. So today we get to hear his story of healing. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and Harry shares some of his story in the book, Pure Desire. Uh 
And that's why I used today's intro because I just kept, as I hear Harry talk, just kept saying, "So this is so good. This is so good." It, yes. It honestly, for me, Trevor felt a little bit like sitting in some sacred space mm-hmm. of like, um, you know, people like Harry and Ted. They're yeah. in their retirement year. Like they're not going to be around forever. And mm-hmm. I, you know, Lord willing, we'll still have decades with them. But it's like their stories of healing at the beginning of Pure Desire are still what kind of form the root foundation of this ministry. Mm-hmm. And so it, it just felt like we were getting to hear, you know, from an anchor, from from a, a, a an not an ancestor, what am I trying to think, a, a father yeah. in our midst. Yeah. And it was really a special time. I think he has so many insights that whether you're in year one of your journey or year 20, there's yeah. things he says that are just going to resonate. And yeah. um, I'm really really excited for people to hear this this yeah. episode. Yeah, it really was excellent. A few things before we get into it, subscribe to the podcast. We're on all the major platforms. Follow us on social media at Pure Desire PDMI. And we we'll also have these episodes up on YouTube, these full episodes. And then Nick, we just want to circle back every once in a while and remind people of something called Team 58. Team 58. Yes. Don't you want to be a part of the team, Trevor? We'll give you a hat, give you a shirt. Spoiler alert, I'm already part of the team. (laughs) Uh, Team 58 is the name we gave to those who have chosen to be a part of the mission by being a a regular monthly donor to Pure Desire. And it comes out of Isaiah 58, where the prophet says that that your salvation will come quickly like the dawn. And when it does, he says at the end, you will be those who rebuild the broken cities and restore the fallen walls. Mm -hmm. And that's what we look at to say when we've experienced healing, that our healing is a kind of salvation, that when it comes, we can turn and be a part of helping others rebuild their broken lives, mm-hmm. restore their families, and what a joy it is to see God multiply our healing. And so becoming a monthly donor is so much more than just the money itself. It's it's a way of saying, I'm paying forward my healing, and I am a part of that team, yep. Team 58, that is continuing to make a difference in this world. And so we are just so excited to see uh, even over the last few months, as we've started to talk about it on the podcast, people are jumping on board and That's it's awesome. making a difference yep. because it's multiplying the resources that that we have available mm-hmm. to us to together keep telling that story to people that need to know there's hope and that freedom is possible. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many relationships, families, and communities that we get to be a part of rebuilding. So if you want to join Team 58, go to puredesire.org slash give and join the team today. All right, here's our time with Harry, a.k.a. His actual nickname is Father Flanagan, and here he is. Here is his story of healing. Harry Flanagan, welcome back to the podcast. Glad to be here. It's been a while. It has been several months, yes. You're a lot taller than the last time we saw you. (laughs) I think the last time we had Harry on, you were on uh, pregnancy leave. Or baby Because I had just had a baby. Yeah, you had had a baby. Yes. But I interviewed Harry over Zoom. That's right. And uh, tried to be the host, but Harry did a great job. I don't know how I did as the host, but it was good to. We haven't heard any negative feedback. I think you did great. (laughs) It was over a year ago. Did we hear any feedback? That's what I want to know. I don't know. Yes. If you have comments, please send them to Harry. His email is okay. I'm just kidding. Um, Okay. So we've had you on a couple times. Um, You're obviously one of the staple, like OG, as I've said before, people here at Pure Desire. um, And you do a lot of counseling. But I think if, because, Men who've gone through seven pillars get pieces of your story, um, but then there are a lot of people who maybe haven't been through those, you know, the, the second pillar in a while, and maybe people who haven't been through pillars. Or they're female. Wanna, and totally, right, that want to know your story. story. And, yeah. and I think you, got a, beyond. you have a powerful story and a powerful ministry now, so we wanted to just share that story with our listeners. So 
the origins of Pure Desire were in July of 1993. Uh, only then it was called for men only mm -hmm. and for FMO. women only. Yeah. And, and, and I came in October as a fallen pastor. I was the very first guinea pig for Pure Desire from, mm. from, from a denomination point of view of restoring a pastor. Yeah. And we had none of the tools that we have today. None. It, it was interesting. But, but at the very core of all of that, uh, uh, in a conversation with Ted, there was a few things that he said to me that were significant to help me move forward. And one was, my past doesn't determine my future. Mm. You know, and, and, and he was adamant about that. And secondly... He he said uh, uh, he he you know he he dresses as a pastor, but he's still a marine, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. and he made it That's very true. very clear that if I tried to minimize any sin, he was going to ha have me pinned against the wall. But he also said the same thing to me about yeah, minimizing me. Yeah, you know, the, yeah. and he presented a balance that I had never experienced before. Yeah. Uh, and and then he said, you know, God has not taken his hand off of me, hmm. uh, but that I am to be his hands extended to a hurting world, hmm. you know, which was a theme for him at, at East Hill Church, but it was personal to me, you know, that, yeah, that totally. I believe that that was my, my calling. Mm-hmm. Although I had no idea what that how, what that was going to evolve into, right. but, uh, because we went through so many different versions of trying to figure out what would make uh, four men only, four women only mm -hmm. successful. One of the things we learned is you don't put betrayed women in the same group with women who were the betrayers. Sure. You know, good <laughs> that, lesson that, learned. That was, that, was, that was a hard lesson to, 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 to learn. But. For sure. For sure. Um, so a little bit of your backstory. You were a pastor. Um, and then can you kind of talk about that, how, um, how you had that moral failing and then was introduced to Pure Desire? Can you give our listeners a little bit of backstory there? Uh, yeah, uh, I was pastoring on the Oregon coast. Uh, I had a church in, in Astoria, mm -hmm. uh, and I had been there for, um, uh, for 13 years. And uh, I had... I had a history going clear back to age nine with pornography, and, and uh, uh, I had discovered my father's stash, and and uh, it was never addressed in my family, uh, and and I had learned at, at a very early age to have a secret life. In fact, yeah. you know, behind all addictions is trauma and pain. Mm -hmm. And for me, uh, my parents uh, literally told me, we need you to be the compliant child because we're having so much problems with your little sister. Wow. And, and my father told me, I know it must be wrong, but I don't know what else to do. Uh, but what it did is it drove me 
into the secret life because yeah. I wasn't to have problems. Yeah. And I even sought help outside of the family. I went to the school counselor. Mm. And, and, and after visiting with me, he said, Harry, I can't meet with you again because I need to work with people who have real problems. Oh, wow. So, so my hope was in the addiction. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, and, and then as addictions go, uh, eventually uh, I married, had uh, three beautiful boys, and, but uh, I felt like my family didn't need me. And and, uh, I ended up in three long-term affairs with women in the church. And and I was the classic case of the hypocrite. Mm. And I was so afraid of of seeking help because I feared that I would be rejected by everybody. And and in fact, that's what happened when my my sin was exposed. My Mm. oldest son overheard a conversation and he revealed it to his mother and and that began the process of I stayed for a month helping to get the house ready to sell but but the family was going to move back to Eugene and and mm-hmm. uh, they were putting an interim pastor into the church wow and, and um, my wife was so angry she um, uh, I slept either in uh, on on, on a, a a rug in the basement on a cement floor, and if we had company, I slept outside, including if it rained. Oh, wow. So I was sleeping uh, sleeping underneath a picnic table, huh. you know, wow. and 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 it was it was reinforcing the shame yep. that that yeah. that I felt about myself, and and. Uh, 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 as a matter of fact, a year into my healing, I, I was writing in a journal, uh, and I said, Harry, you are damaged goods. Who would ever love you? Hmm. You know, and, and, and it, there's a couple of things that, that I learned. It's, it's not about stopping behaviors. It's a lifestyle change that has to happen. Yeah. Totally. Learning how to live in a community and, and finding a church where it's safe to be mm-hmm. real with your strengths and your weaknesses. You know, one of the gifts that Ted Roberts brought uh, both Pure Desire and to East Hill Church when he was pastoring East Hill was there was no forbidden topics from the pulpit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. None. And that's powerful in a church. That yes. changes a culture for sure. Yeah. yeah. Everyone had permission yeah. to say, well, if Ted's able to acknowledge that, or if this, you know, testimony person is able to acknowledge what they're doing. Yeah. And what I didn't know was uh, after three years, uh, Ted asked me to give my first testimony at East Hill. And back then they had four services, two on Saturday <laughs> night and two on oh, Sunday mornings. And I was coming on Sunday mornings, I mean Saturday nights, uh, because I would take my my elderly father to his Methodist church on Sunday mornings. Mm. And, and what I didn't know is that there were eight people from my congregation in Astoria who were now attending the church, oh, wow. and they had no idea I was there. Wow. 
That's it, an exciting weekend. Yeah, <laughs> Stand yeah. up to tell your story. There they are. There you are. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And uh, uh, some of them were excited to to hear my story. Hmm. And, and uh, there there was especially one person who was really angry because her brother had been my uh, right hand guy that I hmm. trusted as far as my trust would allow me to trust sure, him of course. Yeah. and actually had people accusing him of being in on my addiction mm. and which wasn't the case yeah and he left the church and she blamed me wow he stopped attending church for 13 years you know? yeah so often the case and we share our story just what you said some are excited about the change and others it it touches on pain or parts of their story that are hard mm -hmm. to accept and so, Harry, go back to, you know, these years you talk about having three long-term affairs. I can only assume that along the way you're, you're trying to fix this problem on your own. Mm -hmm. you're, you're trying to self-correct. So what, what were attempts you made on your own to change things? And, and were there moments you realized, like, I'm not capable of changing this alone? Uh, I felt all along that I was incapable of changing. Hmm. Uh, but I was trying. I, you know, I tried, in my isolation, I was reading books, sure. I, 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 but, but it, was, it was the relationships yep. that were going on yep. and, and, and the protecting of secrets. And, and, and the truth was, not only was I slowly losing the congregation, I was slowly, slowly losing my wife and kids. Yeah. You know, and, 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 I, and I, was, I, I, yeah. I was so working so hard to keep my head above water. I'm actually surprised I didn't have a, a, a nervous breakdown. Mm. And I, I was just mm. so fearful of being exposed. Yeah. But I kept promising myself for the thousands of times that yeah. I was going to quit. This is going to be the last one. But hmm. it, it, yeah, it, it didn't happen. <laughs> it didn't happen because I, uh, I, uh, I was involved significantly with image management mm -hmm. you know that, that that I tried to portray myself putting out the best pieces yeah. of me yeah. and, and 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 holding back the, the 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 shameful pieces of me hoping that it would that no one would ever catch on mm -hmm. but I didn't know how to get out of the situation no. uh, you know I tried I tried Anger. I tried conversations with the women, trying to end everything. Mm. Uh, uh, but but you know the truth was I was functioning as the classic hypocrite. You yeah. know the the word in the Greek uh, uh, literally means an uh, for hypocrite means an actor who wears a mask. And I thought that's who I am. Sounds about right. Yeah, yeah that's right. who that's who I am. And and in fact, when I first came to East Hill, I knew several members of the staff and I had a distant relationship with Ted. Uh, uh, and I wanted to hear Ted mm -hmm. because I he, he was offering me hope. And I wa obviously wanted to hear God. And I was come to church crying, wanting to repent. But mm -hmm. I would sit on the fringe of the church and 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 I would purposely come in late, find that secure place to sit. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, Slide and, in the back. Row. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and seven, the first seven services. By the time I ended, someone was sitting within ten feet of me that I had pastored. 
Oh wow! Wow! So so I so I learned that people I pastored came to church late, <laughs> but but they uh, <laughs> they said, Pastor Harry, what are you doing here? Hmm. Where where are where's the family? Yeah, I would confess my sin and repent, and it was just like clockwork. They would all say to me. This is a great place to get healed. Wow! Uh, and, and finally, um, the the pastor over Pure Desire for men only at that time was a guy named Scott Oya. And Scott says, "Harry, I think you're ready for a group, but you can't tell them you're a pastor because pastors have betrayed, hmm. humiliated." shamed them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They don't trust pastors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let them get to know you as a person first, then you can tell your story. I come in 15 minutes late as on cue, <laughs> and I'm looking through this window into the room, and the only person I recognize is Scott. And so finally, I get the courage to go in, and for 20 minutes, I'm just listening, yeah. and I'm blown away by the honesty of these men mm-hmm. sharing their stories. Sure. And, and, and then this guy comes in at six foot three. He looks like a linebacker because he was an all-state linebacker mm. from Astoria. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Walks into the room, apologizing for being late, and stops in the middle of the room, looks at me and says, Pastor Harry, what are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and that's when I, that's when I, I, I realized, okay, no more hiding. Yeah. That was that was that yeah. was a significant turning point. Yeah. His name was Dave, and when and Dave doing that said, "Okay, yeah. I'm trying to hide, and God's not allowing me right. to hide." Absolutely. So I that was the point where I realized that my the change in my journey mm-hmm. is not just me getting fixed, yeah. but that that I needed to be open about what I was experiencing, and the only person I had been yeah. open with, two people I'd been open with, was was uh, Ted and and with Scott in the one on ones yeah. with him yeah. but but it was it, it was just mostly all yeah. about the outpouring of my shame yeah. well like let's let's dive into that a little bit when you join this group you start your healing journey a lot of us run into hurdles things that kind of get in our way we we think healing is going to be one way and then we start to experience it. It's like, this is not what I expected. So for you, what were some of those hurdles on that road to healing and freedom that really tripped you up or you ran into that you had to deal with? Uh, I, what, one small thing was, it, it wasn't small. Is there such a thing as a small thing in recovery? It was that I wanted to distance myself from this. And so there was another pastor who showed up a couple months after me and he was just minimizing his whole story. You know, yeah. it wasn't him. It was the woman. It was mm-hmm. you know, going through it. And, and, and I, I was full of indignant self-righteousness. <laughs> you know, and, and, and amazingly, he didn't come back the next week. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> but but uh, so, so it was self-righteousness. Uh, and and I found myself struggling a lot with codependency with my ex-wife and with my three boys, you know, and 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 it was complicated because uh, not only had I betrayed them as, as their father, but I had betrayed them as their pastor. Mm-hmm. 
and I had taught them to, to not trust authority figures in church. And, and in fact, you know, uh, if they had to choose, they would they 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 would go through. Uh, they are all loving to me. It took three three years for for all three of them to eventually say I they love me, but mm. they didn't know how to relate to my Christianity at all. Yeah, and and wow. they uh, I found myself wanting to be codependent and pleasing to them. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and and that didn't work either. <laughs> yeah. So so right. uh, you know it, it, I had to release them to go through their own journey of healing w- with Gosh. this and be yeah. available for them to 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 talk. Mm-hmm. But the other one was uh, um, uh, uh, I had to search for what am I going to do with myself? What mm-hmm. does a pastor do when he's not pastoring? Yeah. Like all yeah, I know yeah, how to do. Yeah, yeah, totally. yeah, yeah. I I was a night watchman for uh, uh, I think it was Wa Chang uh, that made uh, computer chips. Hmm. Uh, so so I got to to be in a place where I was by myself from uh, eleven to seven every night. Wow. Uh, yeah, this little <laughs> and they didn't have podcasts and audio books back then. No, no, it's it, not it, like it, yeah. it, it was all night radio. <laughs> that was all I had access go. to. So do, doing that, I tried selling cars. I was a horrible car salesman <laughs> because I always sold cars for the least <laughs> amount possible. You know, uh, they, awesome. they were they weren't happy with me, and, and I, I finally I was always looking for what was going to bring the biggest payoff so that I could give my family more mm. to meet their needs. Yeah. I was living next I was living next door to my parents in a house that they had inherited and I was caring for them because they were actually in the dying process. But finally I decided that instead of me doing things that weren't me, I needed to do something that was me. And so I ended up working for a company that oversaw uh young adults who had uh um disabilities. And so I oversaw saw three group homes mm-hmm. with them and, and just did that and, and volunteered at Pure Desire. And what I didn't know is after I gave my testimony, and I was shocked that when I gave my testimony those four times, I was shocked that I was getting a standing ovation for telling a story about sin. Wow. You know, that was a that was a, a, a shocking yeah. and I was yeah. vulnerable. When when I started dating my wife, one of the staff people said to her, "Be careful! I don't trust him." Mm-hmm. You know, and and, and it, it took uh, you know. So there were always going to be people because of their own hurts and wounds that 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 saw me only in the light of my addiction. They could yeah. only define me yeah. out yeah. of my addiction. Well, and that boy, that process of reestablishing trust, especially with people who may not be necessarily in the story or in the journey with us, they're only kind of on the periphery of yeah. how they know us. For them to get to a place of trust, you know, it may not ever happen. And I think what you're expressing is how we have to keep moving forward in our journey and doing the things God leads us to, mm-hmm. even if people on the outside of the story still see us as yes. that old addicted self. And uh, I, boy, I also really appreciate just what you said about your self-righteousness and owning that because I've seen it happen in my own life and in so many groups where 
it's amazing how when we get even just a little bit of healing, suddenly we move back into that posture of like, well, <laughs> yeah. I kind of got this figured out. And now I see the new guy like, man, what's wrong with you? And, <laughs> you know, the truth is I'm, I'm only three months down the road yep. into my own story. Yep. And, and that need for us as we're overcoming addiction and starting to walk in freedom to just stay in that place of humility, mm-hmm. not in a shameful, you know, I'm a horrible person, you know, I'm putting myself down, but in just having that honest self-assessment of, I, I once was very broken and lost too. Yep. And if someone else comes in and I see their brokenness mm-hmm. to not move into that critic role of putting them down, like staying humble and, and welcoming them into their journey. So Harry, I imagine as you're starting to move into this, you know, with all your background in uh, ministry and as a pastor, you know, there's strategies of healing you maybe had in mind uh, that were perhaps different from what Ted was teaching in Pure Desire. What were some of those strategies, even in your healing journey early on, things that you were maybe trying to do that you found were, were not helpful? Uh, well, it, it, it was when I was preoccupied with stopping behavior. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. That 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 is a form of trying to manage the addiction. Sure. And it doesn't work. Yeah. You know, either either you're going to eradicate the addiction, or it's going to take you out. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, a Catholic service on the East Coast said there was four levels to an addiction. There is restoration. There uh, and this next one down is having a lapse. You you don't. Why am I here? I act out once, whatever that acting out is, and then I say, why am I here? And I go back to restoration, and then three is periodic episodal relapses, hmm. where most of the people we work with, that's where Kinda they they're at yeah. when they when they show up Binge at our purge. door, right. yeah. Uh, 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 binge purge and and uh, uh, high levels of sexual anorexia. Mm-hmm. They feel so much shame yeah. about their addiction yeah. that they can act out with people over here or they can act out with their pornography, but they don't know how to be intimate with their wives because they feel such guilt and shame. Uh, and I think that, that that's huge. For me, the turning point was that we had a uh, a video series by Jeff Van Vonderen, a counselor uh, from from Minneapolis, uh, from his church, and he did it. He did a a course called "Wounded by uh, Shame, Healed by Grace," and, and it was a seven week series. And I sat through the first one, and I was asked to start teaching it the next time. Hmm. And Debbie, eventually Debbie joined me, and, and we would actually have uh, 100 people three times a year, and we had a waiting list to get into the class, mm. you yeah. know, because it was such a powerful healing class. Uh, and and it, uh, it finally gave me tools to begin yeah. to work with, with shame. Because if in my counseling, mm-hmm. I have learned if if you don't find some resilience to the shame, then then uh, uh, everything else becomes kind of busy work, mm-hmm. uh, and, and the resilience comes from telling your story instead of hiding your story. Yeah. So. Uh, 
I mean, we all get to the point in recovery where things start to click. We start to make sense of what is motivating the behaviors. You've already talked about it, the family of origin you grew up in. Yeah, the shame, but also the wounds that you experienced. When, like, when was that moment for you where things started to just like get really, really clear on the things that really your addiction was founded on? Well, it, 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 was, it was the shame, and, and I started to write, I wrote out a letter to my parents, who by this time were in their late 70s. Hmm. And I looked at them, and I looked at my letter, and I thought, well, it's an honest letter, but the only thing they're going to be able to respond to this with is regret, hmm. and they can't do anything about it. So I'm going to end up wounding them so I can feel better. So instead, I read my story to my group. You know, if my parents were 10 years younger and, and, and had the faculties to do it, I would have done it with them. Yeah. But I think that, that was, it, it was a turning point for me to actually uh, find real hope in the community I was in. Mm. And, and in fact, I tell all of my clients now that I have a group of men I meet with every Monday morning in my house. I have two other men that I meet with on a regular basis. And I and Debbie would tell you they're in the, my most important meetings because mm. it's where I process my life. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and for me, it's a dangerous place for me to be in isolation. And one of the one of the learning tools is separating isolation from solitude. Yeah, solitude we need. Yeah, but solitude is me facing my life. It's my. It's it, often it's my encounters with Christ. Uh, sometimes it's me is trying to process, you know, my ABCs of life, whatever whatever my next step is. Mm -hmm. But but isolation is when I'm escaping. Yeah. When I'm escaping into movies, yeah. or I'm escaping uh, if 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 guys are struggling, going back into the their their addiction, mm -hmm. or or they are substituting. You know, I, uh, a guy said, "Well, I haven't looked at porn in in six months," and I said, "And how many pounds have you gained?" Because <laughs> he was he turned yeah. to food totally yep. switching Been addictions there. there. Yeah, Been there. Yeah, yeah, yep. and so and so. Uh, it, it's it's in that process of renewing the mind and yeah. learning how to you know. I think it's a it, 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 the brain that God gave us is amazing, and the five senses we have is taking in raw data twenty four seven, but by the time it reaches our conscious brain, it's been turned into a narrative, and mm -hmm. the narrative isn't about the truth. The narrative is about survival. Hmm. So when I used to believe that survival required me to keep a secret, that's the story I would be telling yeah. myself. Yeah. And if you don't learn to challenge the story that you tell yourself, you're going to find yourself hmm. uh, 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 heading down more dead-end alleys along the way. Hmm. You know, yeah. so so it, it's the the power of community and what I call um, tr transparent vulnerability. I can there's a there's a part of vulnerability where people can say I can share this part of my vulnerability, 
But uh, eight years ago, I was picking up a guest speaker at our church who happens to be now the senior pastor of our church. But but we were driving from Beaverton over to here to Gresham, uh, which is a, about a 40-minute drive these days. And I started just, he said, tell me about yourself. And I started talking about vulnerable transparency. And he stopped me and, and Keith stopped me and said, I've never heard this before. Hmm. And then he said, you know, nobody's practicing this, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, but they need to. And that began a relationship that has turned into one of my best friends. And, mm -hmm. and the cool. gift is that he's still my, you know, he's my, now yeah. my senior pastor yes. in that process. But again, it's a community where people know who I am mm -hmm. with my weaknesses and my strengths. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's so good. Yeah, what I hear you saying in there is just that power of telling our whole story yep. um, in an environment with people that can receive it. You know, so for you, it was your group. Um, I, I think for many people, that's part of why disclosure can be so powerful with their spouse because like they finally get to a point of like, there's no more mask. There's no more layers of what they don't know. And it may, might be a very, very painful, difficult process, but it's why we've seen at Pure Desire so many couples walk through that really messy process and emerge so much stronger and even look back on it and say, we wouldn't trade it for the world because that place it moves them to of, of what you're saying, that vulnerable transparency of it's, it's out there, it's known, and there's nothing now to hide. I can now move into healing in a way that I think otherwise we can't. And so that power of you telling your story, um, that narrative, that I think the power of narrative in our life, that's just so important. But there's layers to this. And the, and the layers are, uh, uh, as I grow older, uh, my hair color has changed. I probably have less hair than I did when I first started at Pure Desire back in 2007. But when we went from the local church to the nonprofit, uh, um, I was the first employee because mm -hmm. Ted had a plan. It would, I was going to be start part-time, and, and, and then six months later, they were going to make me full-time. And that lasted two weeks. <laughs> and so I was the first one to actually leave East Hill staff mm. to, to, to yeah. work at Pure yeah. Desire. But, but um, in life, you, we're going to all experiences in whatever is happening in our life, unwanted limitations. They are going to happen. Yeah. And I found myself going through exactly the same pattern when uh, in uh, uh, three years ago I was diagnosed with something called sporadic uh, bo uh, body inclusion myositis, which is so such a rare disease that the CDC in Atlanta calls it an orphan disease. There is no cure for it. So I'm losing strength in my legs. I have to, as you guys see, see here today, I have to use a walker to get around. Uh, which and, also and I, conveniently becomes the tallest chair at any table, <laughs> which is Amen. great. <laughs> yes, uh, but but I found myself wanting to 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 hide the disease. Sure, I found myself doing yeah. the. I thought these patterns sound very familiar <laughs> in my head, you know, and it was me owning the disease yeah. and being able to say, "Here's what I'm facing." And, and and working through it and 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 now including that in fact i would tell you that going through this disease is more powerful than the addiction was mm. because there's not a step i take that i'm 
I have to be aware of what I'm doing. Mm. And, and so my telling my story to the significant people of my life is important, you know, and, and when we have our clients and most of our clients now are Zoom in the counseling mm -hmm. department, uh, uh, when we're with them, we're expecting them to be vulnerable and transparent. But if we, on our end, become the talking heads, we've made the counseling room an unsafe place. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not, that, it's not that we do our therapy with them, but we need to be able to appropriately be vulnerable with them about where we are. So I have to tell people, you know, at some point in time in the counseling, I'm going to get up. And when I get up, you're going to see me turn to a walker. Yeah. So that they so that they know and they're experiencing me being vulnerable in an area different than their addiction. Yeah. But it doesn't become just a place where you're performing. And I that's what I yeah. like what you're saying, that it's not just about overcoming the one addiction and then retreating back into a life of performance or putting on the mask. It's like learning to to stay in that place in our relationships and so, Harry, you know, as, as you look back at your story and now having worked with thousands of men, what would you say you've identified as kind of the key elements for both you walking out of your addiction and as you work with men? Like, if you were to boil it down into a couple, like, key elements, what, what would you say to listeners about what those are in the journey? Well, first of all, uh, um, being at the very least... Being in a group, and as a matter of fact, this is for your update, uh, that I was in the room when we were trying to figure out the criteria for accountability phone calls. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, my friend Scott said, why don't we make it three? There was no logic, no reason. <laughs> it was just him picking a number out of the air. Yeah. And, and with my clients... Uh, um, one of my favorite stories is, is uh, and matter of fact, this man and his wife are now pastoring a church in uh, uh, in uh, in a southern state. But but he was so embattled in his addiction, he was making up to nine phone calls to group members a day. Wow. Now that's communication. Yeah, that's, yeah. that is commitment. And, that's and, breaking isolation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and and so it, it's really being sold out to mm -hmm. this is this is not just about me fixing myself. It, it, it's that concept of a band of brothers that we're really there for each other, and and, and uh, I think that that that's number one. Number two. Uh, this is this is hard to say, but there are a lot of churches in the United States that aren't safe. Mm -hmm. You can't talk about it. Yeah, you know, and and, and in fact, uh, uh, we we've kind of trained our culture that if you are a pastor, you, you, it's not okay for you to not be okay. Yeah. But that's the human condition. Yeah. You know, and and so I think it's important for us to really put a priority on creating safe environments in the in, in our church community where it's okay for people to have a problem in the present tense. You know, and creating a you know culture. I I I love Henry Cloud and John Townsend's work. I would love for them sometime to be a 
to be a guest if we hook it up, get, Harry. Yeah, give yeah, us, yeah. The give us, yeah. yeah. We'll yeah. take yeah. no problem. Yeah. Uh, uh, Henry Cloud, if you're listening, yes, yes. exactly. <laughs> that would be amazing just to begin with to find out he was listening to our podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but but you know, it's it's uh, understanding that the broader spectrum of this is a lifestyle. Where, where, because, and it's in, and it's counter to our culture because our counter, our culture glorifies the individual. And, and we think success is being celebrity status and or money. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we've lost our sense of how to function in community because it's all about me. And, and, and I think that, that, that a part of, you know, poor Ted, I think, used to wear a bandage for the first 10 years on his forehead because he kept banging up against the church system that would deny... A metaphorical the, you know, bandage. Yeah, we yeah, don't yeah. have a problem. <laughs> yeah, they, no they, problems they, here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, not us. Not us. Totally. You know, and, and, and the truth is there are very few people as isolated as senior pastors in mm. a church. Yeah. And, and, and that is danger to them mm-hmm. as well as to their flock because we put on the armor we're taught to put on. Yeah. And that's what happens in a congregation. Yeah. So so I think that that's part of it. But but it's also daily I think that it's coming into to to learning to be attuned to our emotions and that emotions are there not to dis- we use emotions wrongly by using them to make decisions i feel like mm-hmm. we we need to let emotions inform us of, our, of the condition of our soul but we may, we should be making decisions based out of our values and what mm. we what our christian faith has taught us that's great yeah. you that's know so and great. i think yeah. that 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 is key but learning how to sit with the emotions you know you know i don't know about you guys but for me two minutes of quiet Feels like about seventeen years. <laughs> you know, you know, I, my mind is already shooting all over yeah, the place. Totally. My learning to calm down and, and giving yeah. myself permission to feel the emotion, and let them inform me what's going on in my soul. Yeah, is really a key part of the healing process mm-hmm. that that maintains it. My that's my maintains my relationship with Christ because I he's my greatest confidant. Yeah, and, and just as David did in the Psalms, I'm yeah. letting him know exactly what I'm feeling. Well, that's what's so, so cool good. about that is that when um, a pastor or a leader or anyone with any level of influence allows themselves to sit in that emotion and then begins to share that with people around them, that then gives other people permission to do the same thing. Yes. And that's how culture changes. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, one of the things that also changes culture is, and, and I love, I'm, I both feel for you and love that Ted had you get up and share four times <laughs> and share your story. But like that is, I mean, from what I know from the history of East Hill, we're not talking about a small church. Like we're talking about a lot of people that you're standing up Four services telling the same story to this, it, it, you know. The church was uh, was about five thousand people. Yeah, just a small number, no big deal, just mega church status. But what gave you the courage? Because I imagine you had not shared your story with five thousand people before that moment. What gave you the courage to stand up and do that four times over a weekend? Two things. Number one, my group was very encouraging. They they, they said we'll sit in the front row. Nice. 
They didn't tell me what. They didn't know. They didn't tell me what service. But 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 more importantly, uh, I had this experience, and, and I and my life was a mess. Mm. My family's life was a mess. Yeah. Uh, my parents had begun the dying process. Mm-hmm. So uh, so there's all kinds of things going on, and and. I kept having men coming up to me asking for input. <laughs> and, and and I kept telling them, hey, I'm just trying to figure this out myself. Yeah, right. But, but, it, but I, it, it was my coming to the slow realization that even in my brokenness, I didn't have to heal completely mm. for God to use me. And that he, and that and that he, in, I had given my testimony to FMO guys, mm-hmm. not just my small group, but the larger FMO guys, yeah. and I had gotten good responses. Yeah. And so I had felt like when when Ted finally said, "This is it; it's time for you to yeah. do this," uh, uh, I felt like uh, God had been preparing me for this experience. That and the honorarium they probably gave you, right? Getting no honorarium. <laughs> We're talking about Dr. Ted here. Yeah, yeah no, 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 yes. no. All right, just making no. sure. Make sure we're clear here. You know, it, it makes me think of the story where Jesus heals the blind man and he gets called in front of the religious leaders and they're like, well, who is this man? Why did he heal you? And how? You know, they're trying to ask all these theology questions and as I imagine, he's kind of like, look, I, I don't know any of these things you're asking me. What I know is I once was blind and now I see. And yep. I've got an experience That's right. that I can share. And I think yeah. that's what I hear you saying. And for so many people listening, I think they can relate. Of I, I don't know how it all works. I don't have my journey perfected. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that I'm now sin-free and will never sin again. But I know I'm, I'm not the person I was. And I have experienced some healing that a lot of people haven't. And I can testify to that. Even if I testify imperfectly, it's like the blind man. Hey, I was lost and now I'm found. I was blind and now I see. And I, I think there's incredible power uh, in sharing that. And we've talked about that too on the podcast before, that it's not just the polished, like, you know, the bow is tied on the top type stories. It's okay to have people who are in process also sharing their story because that, in all honesty, is more relatable to me sitting in the congregation. Like, oh, you yeah. go, man. Like, I, I'm with you. I'm yeah. still dealing with these things. I'm still processing through these areas and these struggles. And I think that we we usually, that's just, it's a it's an interesting perspective, but I think we often just think, oh, well, I need someone who's like years past this yes. thing in order to share for it to be powerful. Yeah. And I, I don't think that that's always the case. Yeah. I, I think that, that, that in fact, that, that uh, um, washes out the testimony. Mm. You know, if we yeah. talk about vulnerability being things that happened five years ago, 10 yeah. years ago, it, it's, it's what happened yesterday. What, what's going on, and having somebody with an incomplete testimony and the pastor coming behind them, supporting them, encouraging them yeah. verbally from the pulpit, uh, yeah. and, and saying, this may apply to you, you may be in the same place as Bob and, and Fred here, yeah. uh, so so now here's what we have available yeah. for you. Yeah, that's powerful. That, there, there was, uh, I said that uh, uh, Ted actually had... Uh, no boundaries on what happened. They had a fellow give his testimony. When he was 17, his father was an alcoholic, and he was, and his dad was in a drunken rage and decided he needed to kill his wife. 
Wow. And he went out to the car and got his gun off the rack. Uh, he, he lived here in Troutdale. And, and the, the, the kid who was 17 years old, how can I protect my mom? And so he begged his father not to do it, begged his father not to do it, and finally ran into the house and there was another gun and he killed his father. Mm. Well, he's now, he, he had to go through a mental institution. He's still grieving that he has no ability in this life to reconcile with his dad. But it was in telling his story that he was allowed to experience empathy from a congregation. Mm. Wow. You know, and, and, and being able to take people in that place of brokenness yeah. and honor the brokenness instead of honoring just the fix. Yeah. You know, we, we all have a tendency yeah. to go that direction. Yeah. But it's in the brokenness that we need to find acceptance. Right. It's not in the fix. Learning how to be, you know, the difference between sympathy, feeling for someone, mm -hmm. or empathy, feeling, feeling with. with them. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah. you know, Hebrews 4.15, Jesus was tempted in every way like you and I. So he had the empathy to know what, what yeah. we are experiencing. Yeah. He walks with us through the pain of our lives. Mm. Yeah, that's... So powerful the the way that we can enter into people mm -hmm. in their brokenness and not just in their fix. I, I really appreciate that. Um, so Harry, tell us a little bit more about the ministry that God has given you now. I mean, you've been on the Pure Desire counseling staff since two thousand and seven, so fourteen years. You know, you've you've worked with hundreds, if not thousands, of men. Uh, you know, I want to know what what brings you joy now as you can mm -hmm. continue to do ministry in this area after all these years. Well, I have a picture right here that happened two weeks ago. And two weeks ago, uh, 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 a group of men showed up at my house on a Sunday afternoon. It was supposed to be a short visit that turned into three and a half hours. <laughs> and and uh, it was a group that met for, uh, had been meeting for six years, and I had started it. Oh, wow. And after two years... I passed the baton to one of the other men mm -hmm. in the group. Sure. And these men were from across the country, and most of them had never met each other live. Mm. And after six years, they had a reunion. Cool. But and uh, and and they wanted to they knew I had physical limitations in being able to go to the place where they were going to have a barbecue. So they all came over to see me, and we were talking about not only how the guys were doing, one of them had become a major in the Space Force. I, wow. I had fun giving him a bad time about that. <laughs> but, 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 uh, but we had uh, a guy who's a, who's a senior detective in California, uh, uh, just a wide variety of guys, but we all knew each other's families. Mm -hmm. We were talking about connecting. It, it, was, it was very much like a family reunion. Mm. And, and and so I think people come to pure desire to get to get healed, but I think what keeps them in pure desire is the relationships. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when so people knew I had gone through a medical issue a while back, I had I had or or last year when we had the the, the fires here in yep. in the northwest, yep. I had people I had counseled seven years ago who 
I hadn't seen in seven years calling me up to check on me. Mm. So it was the building of relationships yep. that keeps that 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 allows me to thrive. I it's it's those relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not just me being a, a, a counseling talking head on one time on one side of a Zoom call. Yeah, right. The yeah. sad part you know, of all that is that that my wife, who has her own testimony with addiction. Uh, has to listen to my same stories over and over again. <laughs> she's she's going to say, "I've heard these the stories side, before. Yeah. I was looking for something new, Harry." <laughs> so, I mean, our stories are so encouraging. And as you've already talked about, when you got up and you shared your story, um, sharing it in group, guys coming up to you saying, "You know, thank you for sharing. I resonate with that." And I can only imagine the amount of people that talked to you after sharing that one weekend at East Hill. Um, just now, as people are listening to your story, what encouragements would you give them? I mean, there could be people who uh, are just starting to dip their toe into recovery. Maybe they're in their first year of recovery, or maybe they're um, maybe they're five, six, seven, maybe even ten years into recovery. What encouragements would you just give to people today? Well, uh, it, it it goes back to the end of Romans chapter eight, where where the apostle Paul says that nothing seen or unseen can mm. separate you from the love of God. Mm. And that includes seen sin and unseen sin. Yeah. I keep looking for a third category, but I can't find it. <laughs> you know, it's either seen or unseen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and I want to give I want to give you hope, no matter how desperate your situation is. Yeah. No matter no matter uh, uh, the 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 judgments you have against yourself. Even the hatred you might have against yourself, and, and the anger of your spouse or or family mm, members yeah. or congregation, that that uh, uh, there is a path forward, and, and we don't know the exact nature of that path, but the Holy Spirit is is, mm. is faithful to guide and lead us into mm. that path to lead us into all truth, and. It's your discovering that there is a community waiting for you, mm-hmm. and it and it might just begin with joining either our online groups or a local group yep. that's meeting in your community out yep. there. And yep. whether you are a man, a woman, a teenager, an old man, my favorite guy who called me up was calling for help, and he was 87 in Montreal. Wow. And by 90, he was running groups in his church. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah so I love great. that. Yeah. And I mean, it's just each each story of healing is so different. Um, there's so many different aspects to it, but there are these themes that just remain true, that community is so important. Being able to share our story, as you talked about that transparent vulnerability, um, and then allowing our stories to be a part of changing the culture, inviting people into sharing their stories and and processing through their brokenness. Um, and really what we hope is that the more we share our stories, the safer our communities become yes. and the more people get invited in. Um, and our powers, and like there is power in our story, period. And I, I think... One thing that I just feel encouraged um, by today, just from listening from the conversation and you sharing, Harry, is that wherever you're at, your story is powerful. Yes. Even if you're not completely healed all the way where you want to be, your story is still powerful. So uh, you're amazing. We love having you. Thank you for coming back and sitting in your tall chair and being with (laughs) us. Seriously, we, we appreciate you and what you do and you just sharing with us today. 
Thank you very much, and, and I will look forward to being invited back maybe next year. <laughs> <laughs> and wherever you're at on your journey, Pure Desire is here to help create a roadmap for your healing. If you or someone you know is impacted by sexual brokenness, go to puredesire.org and let's start the healing journey today. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Each week we put out new content to help you on the road to freedom from the effects of sexual brokenness and betrayal trauma. And lastly, never stop being healthy. Here's what's coming up next week on the Pure Desire Podcast. Every woman that takes a breath. This is going to be one of our best resources that we've ever put out. They're wanting to be married. They're wanting to be sexual. And they're saying, what does this even look like? Is it even okay to have these discussions? I think that's one of the things that's interesting about women who struggle is that we don't take good care of ourselves. Right. We, we are the last person, and sometimes we are taking care of everybody else, but we're the last person that we take care of. And that, I think, is my favorite part about these resources.